We're, we're definitely very yes. honored uh, to have you with us this evening. Uh, why don't yes. you uh, give us a little bit of uh, background on uh, your church, on your congregation, what it's like. You're, uh, you know, you're in California. You're moved from California to, uh, to Michigan so that our audience would, uh, would get to know you better. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm from Detroit. I originally born in Detroit. I um, started preaching at the age of 17. Uh, so I've been preaching for 42 years now, believe it or not. Bless I you. was uh, called, called to the ministry at the age of 16. Bless started you. preaching at 17. Went to Morehouse College where Dr. Martha King Jr. attended school. Beautiful. Went to Morehouse College, then went to Africa after graduation. Went to Senegal, Gambia, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Egypt, and Israel. Uh, then came back, went to seminary, Colgate Rochester Divinity School, uh, graduated, uh, got married, moved to Los Angeles, worked at UCLA as director of the Black Campus Ministry at UCLA, worked at Wilshire United Methodist Church for two as a associate pastor for evangelism, pastoral care, youth, and young adult ministry. Then I became the pastor, the, the senior pastor of Messiah Baptist Church, was there for six years during the Rodney King beating. The riots of 1992, I was there. Uh, Mayor Tom Bradley appointed me as a city commissioner uh, for the Civil Service Commission. So I was working in the city. And then 1995, I was called to my hometown church, uh, Greater New Mount Moriah Baptist Church, where my predecessor was Dr. Benjamin Hooks, who was head of the NAACP, the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, of the oldest civil rights organization in the country um, and founded in 1909. And Dr. Hooks was the president of the NAACP for about 15 years. And he was pastor of Greater New Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church for 30 years. And I was called to come from Los Angeles to Detroit to succeed him as the senior pastor. So I've been here 25 years. I've been back home for 25 years. And um, I've done a lot with the Jewish community in Los Angeles and here in Detroit, and also now with the Islamic community. So God has ordained me to be not just a Christian minister, but an ecumenical interfaith bridge builder to work with my Jewish brothers and sisters, my Muslim brothers and sisters, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Baha'is, to work with anyone who believes in God. I've worked with black, white, uh, Latino, Asian American, um, Chaldean. So uh, I just thank and praise God that he has allowed me to not see religion, not see race or color, to see it, but not to see it, meaning to see it and embrace it, not to use it to divide our people or to put one group above the other, but to recognize that in terms of Christian Jews and Muslims, we're all children of Abraham. We all go back to the God of Abraham. And so I'm just honored to be here, and uh, and I'll sit, share more as you ask me questions about the Coswini family and how <laughs> you've become my family, and I thank God for that. Thank you very much, Reverend. That's very kind of you. Once again, we're we're honored to have you here. You explained to us that you have played a, an extremely important role in uh, bridging gaps between members of the Abrahamic faiths, Christians, Jews, and Muslims, um, and... Um, why don't you tell us a little more of, uh, you know, your relationship, your, your church's relationship with the Muslim community in Dearborn? Okay. Yeah. 
uh, with the Muslim community in Dearborn, uh, I first got connected um, through the Islamic Center of America. Uh, I guess Imam Hassan uh, Kazwini, is that your uncle? That's my uncle. I believe yes. your uncle, yeah. right. Uh, he was uh, Imam at uh, Islamic Center of America for a while. Yeah. And so that's when I first met him before he went to Islamic Institute of America. And so I met him uh, probably, I, it's been many times uh, for the last 25 years, we've, we've worked together on different projects uh, in terms of interfaith. But one of the things that, that really strikes me is when uh, this guy, Terry Jones, when he was Terry Jones, Terry Jones decided he wanted to burn the Holy Quran. And uh, I went to Dearborn with other Christian leaders and uh, we said we would not tolerate that because if he can burn the Holy Quran, he could burn the Holy Bible or the Holy Torah. And so we went together, Christians, Jews, Muslims, interfaith uh, coalition, and we went and we surrounded, uh, we stood in front of the Islamic Center of America and we denounced Terry Jones, told him that he could take his racism and Islamophobia and vitriol and take it back to wherever he came from because that was not being a man of God. And I don't even recognize him as a reverend. That's why I just said Terry Jones because yeah. I don't recognize him as, as a reverend. So anyway, that was some of the first days. Um, back in 2001, um, actually 19 years ago, um, when we had the 9-11, uh, we did a, a world called Sabbath service. And, uh, and I was asked to give the Christian response to uh, the terrorist attack uh, on September 11th of 2001. And, and at that time, some 19 years ago, I spoke out and I mentioned to those who were in attendance with an interfaith gathering. And I stated that we cannot demonize our Muslim brothers, uh, that terrorists, those terrorists who did the tragic um, tragedy on 9-11, I basically, uh, I could not, I had to speak out in support of my Muslim brothers. And so that was in 2001. Uh, then when, and I'm just kind of skipping around on different things we've done together. I've spoken at the mosque um, uh, back when uh, uh, E, my good friend E, uh, brings together chapters from around the world. They came to uh, the Islamic Center. I spoke there. They've come other places. I spoke there to welcome them to uh, Dearborn to Detroit, and to show them that Christians can work together. And then when 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 Donald Trump uh, became president and, and issued the Islamic ban, uh, stating that Muslims could not come into, the, I mean, all that nonsense, I made it a point to to go to the Islamic Center of America um, because that's why I was at the time. I went there on a Friday. And I was by myself. I went by myself. No one else came, just myself. And I went and I spoke there during the Friday prayers. They gave me about 15 minutes for the Friday prayers. And I spoke with them and I told them that as a person of color, a black man in America who have experienced racism and slavery in America, that we could feel, I could feel the pain of my brothers and sisters who were now being targeted just because they were Muslim. 
just like we were targeted just because of the color of our skin. So I went there and I stood to let them know that I denounced Donald Trump then. I denounce him now, four years later. And this is why I say that Donald Trump must leave office because um, he tries to divide our nation, he tries to divide our people. So I went to purposely let my Muslim brothers and sisters in Dearborn know you have a friend, you have a brother in Reverend Kenneth J. Flowers and the Greater New Mountain Ryan Missionary Baptist Church that we're going to be here and stand with you and we would not tolerate Islamophobia, we will not tolerate bigotry, we will not tolerate this type of uh, nonsense. So then fast forward to last year, then Imam Kazwini uh, invited me to come to the Islamic Institute of America to speak um, for the Martin Luther King Jr. celebration, to speak in honor of Dr. King, uh, because he had gotten word that I uh, was very, very close to Dr. King's widow, Coretta Scott King. She adopted me as one of her spiritual sons when I was at Morehouse. So I became very, very close to the King family uh, and knew Mrs. King very well. She was very, very dear to my heart. Uh, and I still talk to Martin III as well as Bernice King uh, and Dexter King. And so uh, Imam Kazwini knew about that relationship and asked me to come and speak uh, in honor of Dr. King. And so I spoke last year uh, in January at the Islamic Institute of America, talked about Dr. King and what his dream meant and what we must come together, how he was going to be as brothers and sisters and work together. And it was against that backdrop when I talked about Dr. King that Imam Kazwini asked me about uh, Imam Hussein and said, you need to learn. Have you ever heard about Imam Hussein? I said, no, I've never heard of him. So he gave me a short history of Imam Hussein and said, you must go to Karbala. He said, as I listen to your words, your words of power, and justice and freedom. He said, it reminds me of Imam Hussein and Dr. King, and they're very similar. And that's how it all came. That's how we started talking, and that's how I wound up in Karbala uh, last year. So, uh, <laughs> so before we, before we get into your your beautiful trip, uh, that I, I I heard that you you enjoyed uh, uh, to Karbala, uh, I'd like to ask you exactly what you were just describing to us. Uh, Imam Hussein has universal values and his values yes. are the values of the religion of Islam and his values are the values of his grandfather, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon yes. them. How do you find similarities between honorable personalities and the Jewish and uh, the in the Christian faith, such as Jesus, uh, peace be upon him and other personalities such as Jonah and, and, and the dignified prophets and the Christian faith? and uh, their commonalities with the message, with the uprising, and with the legacy of Imam al-Hussein. And how is it that Imam al-Hussein can unite Muslims and Christians uh, in order to fight, for example, the prejudice that you were just speaking about, the racial profiling that you were speaking about, the discrimination that you were speaking about, poverty. Uh, how is it that we can come together in understanding the essence of, uh, of the message of religion, because you will find people who will divide human beings. You beautifully stated that you feel that God has chosen you to bring members of the Abrahamic faiths, those who believe yeah. in God together and harmony and peace and love and understanding. And how is it that some people would be using religion? Literally, they'll use religion 
in order to divide people, in order to discriminate against people, in order to, to shed blood and to, 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 to wage war. So how is it, number one, uh, where do you find Hussein in the Christian faith? And number two, um, how is it that Hussein can unite Muslims and Christians uh, today in the world that we live in? Well, in, in, in the Christian faith, I, as I stated, had never, we had never heard of Imam Hussein. We had never heard of his teachings. At least I had never heard of his teachings. Um, I had heard of the, the Abrahamic or the, the Judeo, the Jewish prophets of uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, uh, uh, Isaiah, Hosea, Daniel. I had heard mo mostly of those prophets. I had heard of... Um, uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad had heard of uh, uh, Ishmael in terms of Abraham Ishmael and how he yes. did. and so I had not heard of Imam Hussein um, and so from the perspective um, he was not and has not been a part of, of our teachings or our tradition but as I learned more about him I could see uh, how he could stand for truth justice righteousness, how he stood against tyranny, how he stood against oppression, how he stood against corruption, just as the Jewish prophets of old did, just as Jesus did, uh, just as Dr. King did. And so what I see a common thread is with Imam Hussein, with uh, Amos and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the biblicals, and then Jesus himself, Paul, the Apostle Paul, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that you what you find is those people always relied upon God, their faith in God, and the fact that God sits high above injustice. And Dr. King said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Nelson Mandela used Imam Hussein's uh, story and his martyrdom as an impetus for him, that if Imam Hussein could be killed, and stand up against oppression and stand up against tyranny, then Mandela felt that he also could stand up against oppression, apartheid, and then Dr. King stood up against that. And, and, and I've never heard Dr. King mention Hussein as much as he moved, used uh, Mahatma Gandhi and the Hindu faith. So for me, coming through the tradition of Dr. King and Jesus, I had not heard about Imam Hussein. I'd heard more of, of Gandhi, but then I found out that Gandhi had also uh, been influenced by Imam Hussein, as I learned later. Gandhi, Mandela, they had been influenced by Hussein. And so uh, it, it, it lets me know that the common thread that I see through all this is the hand of God. The hand of God being upon the prophet, Imam Hussein, or being upon the imams, being upon the prophets of the biblical uh, uh, Judaic tradition, as well as being upon uh, Dr. King and Mahatma Gandhi and others. So the, the thread that I see is standing against oppression, standing against tyranny, standing against corruption, but also standing for what is right. Dr. King said, man has not found something he would die for, he isn't fit to live. And Dr. King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's kind of where I see Hussein, Imam Hussein, uh, that he also stood against injustice and refused to allow himself 
and his people to come under the rule of oppression um, and, 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 and injustice. And so I, I see God using him in that regard. And I think we need that today. Um, uh, Reverend Flowers, the question today, uh, obviously with the whole Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement uh, across the globe, you know, this is not something that's just in certain states or only in the United States. This became a movement all around the world where uh, it was due to racism, prejudice against the African-American community. And that's something that many people individually um, uh, stand against, you know, whether it's religious uh, leaders or, or, or different people from different backgrounds have individually spoken about uh, such uh, ill behaviors within our society. Today, with this whole COVID-19, you find people wearing masks, protecting themselves against yes. physical illnesses, uh, and, and forgetting the social illnesses that we, 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 li we, we, find, uh, we find them so convenient, we find them acceptable, and we don't really uh, hear many people take social illnesses uh, or spiritual illnesses like they do, uh, for example, against the physical illnesses. And we make sure that, you know, we protect our borders against any sort of individuals that carry such disease, but we don't yes. protect ourselves, our communities and our families against bigots and hate mongers. Uh, do you think that we as, as religious leaders, whether it's Christian leaders, Muslim leaders, Jewish leaders, Hindus, Buddhists, those who believe in humanity, those who believe that God uh, created all men equal, and he will judge them equal. Um, and he has not superiorized a race. He has not superiorized uh, a color over others. Do you think that we need to work as, as leaders, not as individuals within our church? You work at your church, we work at our mosques. You speak to your congregation, we speak to our congregation. Do you think we have done enough in order to come together to eradicate such issues uh, within our society? And what is it that we no. can do to, 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 to take this a step uh, further? I, I, I personally think, and, and I know that COVID-19 COVID has, has precluded us from doing something now, but, but I'm of the mindset that I believe that people have to come together. If you look at the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s, they had mass meetings. They would meet in churches. They would sing songs. They would be inspired and motivated. They would come together, pack those places out. And then they would take to the streets. They would march. They would demonstrate. They would sing gospel. They would sing freedom songs. But they were all together on one accord and became a vast army. When Dr. King spoke in 1963, over 250,000 people at the March on Washington, black, white, Jew, Gentile, Muslim, Christian, I mean, they all came together. And that and that's because they, they recognized that the problem did not affect just black folk, but it affected everyone. It affected the poor whites of Appalachia. It affected whites in, in, in our ghettos. It affected, it affected blacks in our northern cities, our northern ghettos, just like blacks in the deep south. And so people recognize we must come together. I think now, and, and, and this has been... Um, something that, I, that I've yearned to do with my Muslim brothers and sisters is for us to come together. I, I mentioned to uh, your uncle last year 
when I came out and spoke at Islamic Institute of America, I said, I, I look forward to the day when you can come and speak at Greater New Mount Moriah and bring members of the Islamic Institute and bring members of the Muslim community to Greater New Mount and, and so you can speak, so we can come together, do projects together, do different things together. And, and the, sad, the, the sad reality, which I found out is not just a, a Muslim and Christian thing, but from what I understand, it's a part of many in the uh, Muslim culture in Dearborn that they don't travel too far outside of Dearborn at Dearborn Heights. And so uh, someone told me that it's hard to get Muslims in Dearborn to travel to Canton. It's hard to get them to travel to other parts of, of Michigan that's really close by. So they said, so Reverend, don't take offense when they don't come to Detroit. It's not that they're afraid to come to Detroit. It's <laughs> not that they don't want to come to a black church. It's just that they don't do that that much. But I, I believe if we did not have COVID- But that's no excuse. Have, that's no excuse. We have to push our community to travel- I agree. To, I, I agree. To, definitely. That's no excuse. If, if that is the case, which is the case, unfortunately, uh, we need to be vocal and we need to let them know that, listen, this is a much greater cause than, you know, uh, not driving for 10, 15 minutes, an extra yeah, 10, yeah. 15 minutes. Because I believe, and I think, I believe yeah, I, I believe that once we can get past this pandemic and then even if we can do events where we can be socially distanced or whatever, I think it is it is key. This is my perspective in dealing with different groups down through the years that when, 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 when people can come together, when people can physically see one another and see the, the, oh, yeah. the, the Chaldeans, the Arabs, the, the, the Blacks, the Whites, the Christians, the Jews, the Muslims, and see us coming together, there's power in our numbers. When you see one finger, you see just one finger. Two fingers, but you get all five together and make a big fist, now you got all of us united as one. That's what it's gonna take to let people like Donald Trump know we will not tolerate this Islamophobia, this blatant racism, this xenophobia. We must come together and let people know that we will not tolerate this kind of stuff. Definitely. Uh, back to Imam Hussein, before we, we hear your story and your visit to Karbala and your take on uh, his impact on humanity today uh, uh, and, and once again, how he can unite us. Imam Hussein's camp was an extremely diverse one. And within Imam Hussein's camp, there were actually Africans. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and within his camp, there was a Christian man. And within his yeah. camp, there was the Arab. And within his camp, there were the non-Arabs. And within his camp were the very wealthy people. And within his camp were individuals who, uh, who had nothing, basically. And the reason why they all joined him was because he didn't differentiate, you know, between... Uh, his son and uh, the African man who fell as a martyr on the 10th of Muharram. Uh, he didn't differentiate between the Christian Wahhab and uh, his own brother. Uh, he wanted to stand for justice and equality and, and, and freedom of humanity. Um, and that is why Imam Hussein speaks to every, every soul, every soul that is freedom seeking, every soul that honors humanity. And um, I believe those principles, unfortunately, have been forgotten even by the Muslim community. Uh, mm -hmm. For us, you know, the, the, the majority of the Muslim community who uh, are 
our Sunni brothers and sisters, obviously just like Christians are into different denominations. We also have two major denominations, the Shi'i Muslims, the Sunni Muslims. And um, we feel that they as well have not really truly understood the concept of how Imam Hussein can help us today overcome uh, our, our difficulties uh, of facing any sort of tyrants. Uh, you know, uh, for, for us Muslims, when we look at Muslim countries, unfortunately, and we find uh, the lack of freedom, lack of freedom of speech, lack of freedom of expression, millions of people have to flee their countries. Literally, they, they would rather drown into the sea than live under a tyrant. Uh, what does Imam Hussein teach us? Imam Hussein teaches us that we have to unite and we have to speak against oppression. Now, with that said, uh, even after the tenth of Muharram, when you know, with, when when Imam Hussein's troops were killed, they were slain, and their heads were going from one city to another, a story tells us, a beautiful story tells us that the man who took the head of Imam Hussein because he wanted to get money for the head of the grandson of the Prophet, and imagine how, you know, all those things, you know. Uh, Today, we look at how some Muslims can behead innocent people in the name of, of, of Islam and God. And we're, we're surprised. Many people are surprised. But once you read history, you realize that this happened to the grandson of the Prophet. He was a victim of Islamic terrorism because they had hijacked the religion of Islam. Um, and the, 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 the grandson of the Prophet was the very first person to speak against this. So, this person carrying the head of Imam Hussein didn't want to keep it in any Muslim household because either they would be very upset or they would take that head and, and take it to the so-called caliph of the time so that they could get the money. So what he did was he actually saved this head in a Christian reverence home or, or a priest. And, uh, and the priest didn't know. He said to him, I'm just going to leave something in your oven. Uh, and, and if you've seen ovens, you know, for those who probably watch ancient movies, oven was a hole that the people made in the middle of the ground and they would bake bread in there. So he put the head of the prophet's, the, the prophet's grandson in that, uh, in that oven. And traditions tell us this, uh, this uh, Christian priest went and he opened the oven in the middle of the night and he saw this head, even though it was beheaded, there was blood and dust, but it was full of light. And he could tell this is not an ordinary man. This has got to be a man of God. And he drew his head with, with the tears, with the, with the, with the, with the blood, with, the, with all the dust. And, uh, and, and he, he basically told him the next day that shame on you. You know, shame on you for doing such an act of violence. So Christians felt very close to the message of Imam al-Hussein since the very, very early days. While some Muslims didn't feel sorry for the grandson of their own prophet, Christians yeah. stood and they denounced this and they spoke against this and they were the first people to actually show their love and empathy towards the family of the prophet Muhammad. So with that said, why don't you tell us what drove you to decide to go to Iraq? I mean, it's not something you see usually, you know, just being a reverend or being the head of a church. 
let's put that aside. You're just some guy in Michigan that looks at the news and sees Iraq is, is, is not a place you would want to go for vacation. Iraq is not Venice or Rome or, or, or Spain. Uh, so what motivated you to, to go to Iraq? And once you arrived there, how did you feel? The motivation was to learn more about the Prophet Hussein, or Imam Hussein, but also to learn more and to build a better relationship with my Muslim brothers and sisters. I guess you say you have the largest population of Arabs outside the Middle East in Dearborn, and you go to Iraq to build a relationship with your Muslim brothers and sisters. But as I stated, it's hard establishing that fact even in Dearborn because we're close together, but yet we're so far apart. So when I had to go all the way to Kabul, and when I got there, I was received with open arms. Um, I have never felt such warmth, such hospitality, such love, um, such an embracing of me and my wife um, as, as fellow human beings. They did not see a black man and a black woman. They saw another human being, another human being, two men, a, a man and a woman. They, they, nothing but gracious, just hospitality. And, and, and your, your cousin, Hyder, um, was, was our tour guide or, our, or our, the one who was assigned to us. And he was so gracious, so loving, so caring, so kind that my wife and I adopted him and said, you're going to be our <laughs> spiritual son. You're going to be our spiritual son. And um, he, and I told him, I said, there's something powerful about you. I said, he was so young, 18 years of age or whatever. And I told him, I said, for you to be so young, you remind me of when I was 17 or 18, when I was first called to preach God's word. I said, there is a calling upon you. There's an anointing upon you. And I said, I see you as becoming an imam and, and leading your people. And, and he told me that he, that's what he wants to do. He said, how did you know that, Reverend? How did you know that? I said, because I could see it. I could see it in your spirit, in your walk. And that's what I saw everywhere I turned in Karbala. I saw people embracing us. I was not afraid. Now, I'm not going to lie. Before I got there, my wife and I were like, oh, my God, we're going to Iraq. <laughs> Are we going to get back? My church members were like, Pastor, you don't go want to go to Iraq. So uh, Muhammad, M Muhammad uh, Kazwini, your cousin, had to come over to my church and speak to my members. They're like, he's going to be all right. He's, my, my family's going to take care of him. He's going to be fine. Because all we see is what you see on the news. Definitely. And that yeah. Iraq, Iraq is, is dangerous. So when I got there, I felt nothing but love. I felt nothing but peace. I felt totally safe. Um, but then when I, when I finally got to the shrine of Hussein, I've never seen such devotion as I saw people weeping and, and wailing and, and praying and just wanting to touch the, the, the shrine and to go in. It, 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 it brought tears to my eyes and I just, I felt the power. So when I got there uh, to, the, to the actual shrine, I was told that we could not go in because we were non-Muslims, right? We, we could not, we were not allowed to go in. And so I stood at the door and my wife was on the other side because we found out about this, the separation of the, women, the men from the women. Mm -hmm. And so 
She was on the other side. I was on the side with the men. I didn't go in, but I just stood there and I touched the, the, the door or touched the wall. And as I touched that, I felt the power of God. I could feel the presence of God in that place. And I prayed. I said a special prayer. And I thank God for the life of Imam Hussein. I thank God for, for all of, of what he stood for and what his memory and legacy still stands for. And I began to pray for the people of Kabbalah, the people of Iraq. I prayed for brothers. And then I also prayed that God would bring these Abrahamic faiths together, Christians and Jews and Muslims, that we will stop fighting and stop killing and we could be together. So I went around to the other side to get my wife. To my surprise, she did not get the memo that you couldn't go in. She was inside of the mosque, laying hands upon the thing, touching it and praying because she was dressed with her, her jeep on. And so they thought she was a regular Muslim woman. And she walks in and I walked there and she was laying there and she had her hands touching and she was praying and she was thanking God. And she came out and she was crying and weeping. And I said, you're not supposed to be in there. That's only for Muslims. She said, well, I didn't know. She said, and no one stopped me. She said, but I felt the power. That I felt the power of God. So it was just an awesome, awesome experience. And, and, I, and I thought, I need, I, to you, I need to stop you right here and say something for yeah. our viewers yeah. to you and, and to your respected wife. We believe that Imam Hussein, we believe um, uh, that Imam Hussein is a martyr for the sake of God and God in the Quran says that he's alive. So whoever goes to Karbala, we believe, is yes. invited by him personally. And whoever gets there uh, is invited by him. So we don't, I, I, I can speak for myself, I don't believe Imam Hussein's shrine, his mausoleum, his, uh, the closeness to him belongs to Muslims only. Yes. Uh, yes. It belongs to everybody. And this invitation had come to your wife to be that close to him. That yes. means something to us. That is yes. something we yes. respect. We're nobody yes. to drive people away from Imam Hussein or be, people being close to him or yes. people, people even praying next to his shrine or touching his shrine yes. or being blessed by his shrine. Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, you didn't go and, as, 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 I, as close, I, I and next time I, I'm sure you will. Yeah, because I, I, want, I wanted to next go time in. Next I'll and make sure that I'm there personally, and I take you by my hand, and I take you all the way to yes. the shrine, inshallah. Yes, yes. Um, Reverend, let's, let's speak of, uh, of, of how you felt afterwards when you came, uh, how your, your community felt, because... If you're done, you can continue, please, to speak about what you felt in, in Iraq. Because a lot of people, uh, and I'm sure a lot of your community members, a lot of non-Muslims would probably, and Muslims would probably end up watching this some, somewhere, somehow. Um, the, 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 the Islamophobia is one thing. And unfortunately, the Shi'iphobia is one other thing. Where, you know, people constantly say, you know, when you were there and you're touching the shrine, um, why is it some sort of, you know, you worship Hussein, you, you, you put yes. Hussein next to God. And you as a, a Christian leader, as somebody who is not even a Muslim, you said, I touched the door and I felt the power of God. And that's something yes. so powerful for you to say and to understand, which yes. means 
for, th for, for hundreds of years, we the followers of Ahl al-Bayt or the Shia Muslims have stated that the reason why we're there is because we feel the presence of God. Because we yes. feel more godly. We pray to God. And you yes. there, right there and then, you felt that this is a place for me yes. to pray. Nobody had yes. told you. Yes. Nobody instructed you exactly. that once you stand here, pray. But you felt this is a place of prayer. Yes. And you prayed yes. there. And, and you felt that the, the, the prayer was acknowledged by God. A yes. lot of people yes. looking at Islam, a lot of people looking at Muslims, their shrines, and some Muslims are guilty of this, to believe that, you know, when we go there, we pray to Imam Hussein and we don't pray to God. It's the role of the media, it's the role of leaders, religious leaders, who mis constantly misinform their communities about others. We as Muslims, we are, and Shi'i Muslims specifically, we are, we've experienced this at first hand. We have experienced what it feels like when other people are explaining our faith, our yeah, faith. Yeah. When other people are explaining our sect, our school of thought. However, like I said, we sometimes need to do more. And I'm speaking to my community and I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters now. We need to not fall in the same trap. If I need yeah, somebody yeah. to speak about, for example, the, the agony of the African-American community, yeah, I, I should speak about it. I definitely yeah. should and I must. But if I want to know the real story, if I want to yes. know what really happened, then you're the man for the job. If I want to yeah, know yeah. the real Christian values, I need to have a yeah. Christian faith leader come and speak to my people yeah, yeah. so that they would not be ignorant about... I was surprised and somewhat hurt when I got back from Kabbalah. There's a fish market I go to here in Detroit, and I get fried catfish mm. and whatever, shrimp and all those things. Yeah. And when I get there, I happen to tell the, the, the guy, I said, I just got back from Iraq. He's like, Iraq? You you from Iraq? Yeah, yeah. So and I told him that I've been to visit, uh, and I told him I went to visit the shrine of Hussein. And to my surprise, he was filled with vitriol and anger and resentment and basically told me, ah, I don't, I don't want to hear that, I don't want to hear that. He said, ah, those are Shias. And he, I found out he was Sunni. Yeah. And, and I could not believe the disdain. And I'm here, I'm still on a spiritual high. I'm still excited about, I just got back from Iraq. I got a chance to visit. And he just burst my bubble, just like, oh, we don't believe in that. That's a bunch of nonsense, this and that. And I'm like, no, I felt the power of God there. I felt a presence there. And he's like, ah, nah, we don't want to talk about that. We don't talk about that. And it really, it really disturbed me. It yeah, disturbed me. Uh, but, 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 but to be fair, and, and that is why I have spoken to uh, one of our de-respected Sunni scholars who has actually given two lectures here on the live show Sheikh Omar Ramadan of the United Kingdom, who gave us the Sunni perspective, the moderate Sunni perspective on Imam Hussein and on the visiting of his shrine. And to those individuals who, for example, the likes of the man who you met at the fish market, I tell them that you have been brainwashed, unfortunately. And yeah, it's yeah. time for you to pick up a book. It's time for you to go and explore history. You, the reason why many Muslims left their country was because of bigotry, because of lack of freedom, because they were harassed, because they were tortured, because they were imprisoned. 
Yet yeah. when they come to America, they don't learn better the American values that listen. Your neighbor could be somebody from Africa. Your neighbor could be somebody from Asia. Your neighbor can be Indian. Your neighbor could be Christian. Your neighbor could be a Jew or an atheist. It doesn't matter. You need to yeah. hear them out. You need to right. respect them for what they believe. We, we agree to disagree, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. But in order for us to live in harmony, in order for us to live in peace, um, we must be able to overcome such things. I hope that you know at least their children, at least the youngsters listening, can employ such teachings and such values. Now, would you want to share with us anything further on your uh, visit to, uh, to Karbala before we actually honor the victims of 9-11 and we speak of how is it that if the world... Because we, I, I want to talk about one more thing before you... I want you to tell us more about Karbala and what you experienced there and then we honor the victims of 9-11. We don't honor them just by a prayer in the end, but we honor them by letting people know that in 9-11, in the attacks, there were Muslims, there were Christians, there were whites, there were blacks, there were Chinese, there were Asians, there were all sorts of people who were the target yeah. of a terrorist attack. And we need to understand terrorism starts with extremism. Extremism it creates hate. Extremism Indeed. creates division. Ex extremism uh, uh, leads to such disasters. So when we come together, I believe that the greatest way for us to honor the victims of 9-11 is for faith leaders to come together and speak of yeah. their commonalities and to speak against hate and bigotry. So why don't you tell us a little more of your Karbala and, uh, and then we'll, we'll honor the victims of 9-11. And I think that, you know, our time is also running okay. out. So we, we only have a window of one hour on Instagram. Yeah. So go ahead and, yeah. and, and tell us more. Okay. Let, let me just say that it was a great experience. Uh, I got a chance to go to the Euphrates River. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've read about it in the Bible and then to actually go to the Euphrates River, see the Euphrates River. I mean, that was just mind blowing in and of itself. Uh, then to go to the world's largest cemetery in the world and see all of those graves and all of those tombs um, that was powerful um, to, to see all the vendors, to see um, uh, both, both of the shrines uh, there uh, in Karbala, um, then to go to uh, the, the shrine of, uh, I think, Ali or Abu, Ali, I believe, went to another one. And Nejab, uh, yes. Nejab, went to that uh, shrine. Um, just, to, just to see the sanctity and the the, the way that the Muslims take off their shoes and say that you know, you're standing on holy ground, the way that you kneel and pray, the devotion, the commitment, the dedication, uh, the peacefulness, the gentleness. This is what I witnessed. I did not see terrorists. I did not see folk fussing and fighting and bickering. I saw people. I saw humanity. I saw peacefulness. I saw a devotion to God. I saw worshiping of God. And I think if, if we as Christians and Muslims and Jews in America can show that same type of devotion of commitment to God and to fellow, you know, Jesus teaches us uh, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. And then he says to love thy neighbor as thyself. If we're able to, to love God first and then to love our neighbor as ourselves, 
there will be no room for racism or anti-Semitism or Islamophobia or bigotry or sexism or classism or poverty because we will do everything we can to lift each other. So as a Christian minister, I thank and praise God for the words of Jesus and the words of Dr. King and, and now the words of uh, Imam Hussein and, and his life and his legacy and, and then Moses and then the others. I thank God because in all of that, I can see what God has in store for me. You also you. went to the hospital that the, you know, the, the viewers yes. today, many yes. of them and many people who will watch this were the reason behind the hospital. The, the hospital yes. has not received any sort of in, uh, funding from any government or any uh, entity. It's, it's from the people. Yes. And when, and, when, and when I saw Jaffa, Yes. Any, anybody, you anybody know, who visits Imam Hussein, honor them by. Yeah, I, I had, a, you know, I had open heart surgery in 2015, and I have six stents in my heart now. The last two I got last year in July, after getting back from Karbala. But when I got there and I went to the cardiac unit of that hospital, it touched my heart. When I heard about uh, your, your grandfather having a, a heart attack and and having the heart surgery. It connected us. I got a chance to meet your grandfather. I got a chance to spend time with wow. the Ayatollah. I got a chance to spend time with him and to be in his library, to be in his office, and to know that we both share heart issues, but yet we have a heart for people, a heart for God. It connected us. I was just honored and humble. He was so wow. gracious and so kind to meet me and to and to be, spend time with me. And uh, I'm just I'm just honored. I'm just honored. I know we're out of time, but I just had to say that that I appreciate that. And I want to go back to Karbala. Absolutely, absolutely. And do you recommend that anybody who is not Shia Muslim or anybody who is not Muslim or other Christian leaders, other Jewish leaders, what would your message be to them in terms of visiting the, uh, the holy city of Karbala? I think it will open their eyes to see a different perspective of Islam. It will open their eyes to, to see um, a martyr who gave his life based upon his belief in God, but also his belief in fighting against tyranny and oppression and injustice. A man that stood for humanity, a man that stood for, for love and peace and brotherhood and sisterhood, a man that tried to unite humanity. And I think they will see the people's devotion to that principle, not to the man, but to that principle of what he stood for. And I think if, if Christians, Jews, Muslims, whomever will go there, I think they will come away feeling the same way that my wife and I felt, renewed, refreshed, and revived. Very well, very well. Uh, Reverend um, Flowers, we would like for you to, uh, I'm sure that you honor the victims of 9-11 every single year. Today, you've graciously accepted our invitation to be with us. Uh, so I would like for you to uh, also honor them, honor those victims um, uh, by speaking to us uh, of what it is that we can do in order to eliminate uh, such crimes, such injustice. Uh, and what is it that if, if we do can, can, can create more love and peace around the world versus acts of terrorism and violence? Well, the first thing we must do is get Donald Trump out of office. That's the first thing, <laughs> because because he continues to divide us. He continues to lie to the world, to the American mm -hmm. people. 
And so he continues to spew hatred and violence and vitriol. So that's the first thing. Second of all, we must pray that God will intervene in human history now, just as he intervened through the prophet Muhammad, through Jesus, through Imam Hussein, through Dr. King, through others, that God will intervene and use leaders such as ourselves, use us to come together and speak love, speak peace, speak togetherness, have classes on diversity, have classes where we can start with our young people because children are not born to hate. They are taught to hate. Children will play together regardless of the color of their skin, their faith or whatever. They will all play together. So we need to develop a childlike spirit where we can learn to accept people for who they are and recognize that we are all children of God. If we begin teaching them at an early age, then we'll grow up into a world what Dr. King called the beloved community, where there's love, justice, peace, brotherhood, sisterhood, togetherness, and there'll be no room for terrorism, racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, or vitriol, but we can learn how to live together. And there'll be no more need for uh, terrorists to try to destroy us, but we can live together as brothers and sisters under God. Definitely. And um, I would like us to conclude this session with a prayer uh, for many people. Uh, let me list them. First are the ones who are in the front lines fighting COVID-19, uh, yes. this unfortunate pandemic, the healthcare professionals, the doctors, the physicians, those who are actually those who have actually fallen ill to this uh, virus, uh, those who are hospitalized today, um, um, those who are suffering all around the world with poverty, those who are uh, hurting within uh, within their families, within their communities, those who are discriminated against those who are, uh, uh, are suffering in, in prisons while they're innocent. I, I said uh, in one of my tweets, and I think some people misunderstood me living in the Middle East, but I'm, I'm firmly, I firmly believe in this. Some people end up burning the flag of, this, of the United States in protest of Donald Trump. And I say yeah. to them, listen, Donald Trump does not represent the American flag or the American people. The American people are much better than this. If you burn the flag, you're disrespecting all of the American people, people who love this flag, people who are willing to give their lives for this flag. That does not, this, this man does not represent every American. In fact, many people who voted for him are now saying, we wish we never voted for him. So right, I pray right. my biggest prayer tonight while I honor the victims of 9-11 is the foundations on which America were uh, based on, uh, where, 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 and why this country is loved and revered by its citizens. It's, yeah. Those things are what we cherish. Those things are what will actually keep America great. And hopefully America will be great again once everybody feels equal, once everybody feels safe, when nobody feels that they will be victimized because of their skin color or their name or their religion. So my biggest prayer tonight in order to honor the victims of 9-11 is I pray that America uh, is great again and I pray that America remains great and, and, and may God bless uh, America and uh, the land that gives us the opportunity to come together in such a way to speak a Muslim, a Christian, to speak freely without having to be 
scared of being judged of, of political or, 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 or racial profiling. And I hope that many people will wake up and understand the true American values. Well, I, I pray for America to, to be great. America is already a great nation. But when we say uh, words, make America great or make America great again, uh, it's my view and the view of many others that that's code for make America white again. Yeah, because that's when what you say when, when, when we say make America great again, we must ask the question, when was it great? Was it great when we had slavery? Exactly. Was it great when we had, was it great when we had uh, the uh, pro laws? Was it great when we had, right. So, so, so I, I'm very careful when, when I use that term, to, make yeah, America great no, no, or make no, no, America I didn't, great again. I, I no, I basically meant it in a way that what he meant was the exact opposite of what we are trying to achieve. Exactly. America is exactly. only great when it sticks to its values. When exactly. It when, its when, values. When together, so now, when today, together. what he has done is not making America great. Once he's yes. out of office, like you said, once then we can come together. America door, great. Then it will be great again. Definitely. This is what I was trying to get across uh, to my viewers. And, uh, and I really do hope that people understand America is much more beautiful when everybody yes. feels safe, not just yes. a certain group of people. And justice for all, not just all white men, but for all people, races, colors, creeds, religions. That's my prayer. We're going to have to bother you again, and we're going to have to uh, ask you to join us again. I'm sure the audience... Uh, loved yes. uh, for you to be here. I certainly did. I enjoyed every moment. Yes. Um, and uh, yes. and God bless you. God bless your family. I hope you're going to stay safe. Thank you. And hopefully we'll Thank get you. to see you soon. And I will be honored to come on your program again. All right, brothers and sisters, I'd like to thank every single one of you for joining us this evening. Uh, we had a very, very beautiful session with uh, Reverend uh, um, Kenneth Flowers, who uh, joined us all the way from Dearborn or Detroit, Michigan, um, and uh, he had visited the, the, the city of Karbala. Thank you very much for joining us, brothers and sisters. May Allah bless you all. Uh, keep safe. And wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.